0: This is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are the core.
1: Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and guess what? I'm at another mini crossroads again, and I would like your feedback again. So, if you've been listening, you know that a few months ago Matt and I started doing this Wednesday Night Live thing in Mesa, Arizona. We've since stopped doing it because, well, just because there's lots of reasons. And it kind of sucks for a lot of reasons. And one reason is that I really enjoyed getting the real-time feedback on this Shadow the Lamanite side book project that I'm working on, like you'll hear in today's episode. And I still want to do that. um, And I want to have that feedback from listeners like you, but we don't really have to do it live and in person like we were trying to to do it on Wednesday nights. We could do it other ways. So what I'd like to ask uh, with today's episode is to see if any of you listeners are interested in working with me on this little side project. If there's anyone who would like to provide feedback and discuss this with me as I write it, because I'm still trying to think how I want to approach this and, you know, what works, what doesn't work. And uh, so I'd like to ask you if you're interested in forming some kind of a working group um, where we do live online recordings a few times a month rather than doing the in-person recordings. So if any of you are interested in doing something like that, uh, go to our website, com. Take a look at this uh, episode. It's episode 498, I think. Uh, and there will be a survey associated with it. You know, we do surveys. <laughs> And so I'll have a few questions for you if you're interested in doing this. Or if you just want to provide some feedback on the survey, I would love to hear it from you. So please go there. Take a few minutes to fill it out. And I appreciate that very much. And now, here is part three of Shadow Lamanite. All right. Thank you guys for coming out again. This is the third time we're doing Shadow Lamanite. Last time... What did we end with? We ended with, uh, they got the brass plates and they were getting ready to, to head back out into the wilderness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, any, uh, any thought, like Ryan, you said that uh, somebody identified your voice on yeah. one of the episodes? Yeah. That's pretty fun. Yeah. So get them out here because it's, <laughs> there's a lot of open seats. <laughs> Uh, you know, if people are interested in this conversation. So, w- the way I want to start tonight is with a comment from the website. There's only been one comment on the website with these Shadow of the Lamanite things that I've done. We don't get a ton of comments, but this is from Simon. And Simon says, If you talk about meat puppets or use the word quantum again, I am going to scream. <laughs> so, I want to know what you think about that, Matt.
0: Oh, meat puppets?
1: Yeah, the word he says. If you talk about meat puppets or use the word quantum again, I'm going to scream.
0: I like quantum better than meat puppets. But I, I, I don't
2: mind like meat
1: puppet. I don't scream. What? What? So, what, what do you think that's about? If you guys can be the Simon whisperer here, like what? Why is Simon going to scream if I use meat puppets or quantum? I,
0: mean, I, I know he seems he seems concerned with the um, uh, non-materialist. Part of it, right? That there's there seems to be this that's what I get get from that. He doesn't like the um, woo science fiction approach, woo, to kind of what that what might be implicated in that, I think. Yeah. Is is that sorry, it's a very rigid um, it's a very rigid uh, kind of view of I think science what I'll call science based atheism. Mm-hmm. And I, and I and I had a conversation with someone like uh, along the same lines today, kind of in a similar vein.
1: But um, yeah, so I, I think I that's, I that's what I hear him saying. Yeah. Do do you, do you think that's something you know? Because I'm I'm writing this, I want it to be something that people will enjoy reading, even people like Simon. You know, or, uh, is that something that I should be concerned about with the the meat puppets and the woo? Tell tell me what you're thinking
3: somebody has a very strong reaction to something it has more to say about themselves yeah that's what they have a reaction to so to me it just sounds like he's got some issues with those words i have nothing to
1: do with it or the ideas that the words are representing sure yeah but but still like i i don't i don't i don't want if if i if i know that there are certain things that are going to obstruct people being able to enjoy or appreciate what I'm doing with this, and I intentionally do that, and it's not necessary to do it. You know, kind of like weighing the pros and cons. I'm I thought
3: the Meat Puppet thing was hilarious.
1: You like the Meat Puppets? Yeah. yeah I <laughs> oh, yeah.
4: yeah. um, I think I think you just have to connect with different people saying different things, and you're not going to connect with Simon.
1: Oh, but Simon, though.
4: Well, at the moment.
1: We'll see what Simon's like in a year. We'll see what Simon says <laughs> in a year.
0: I think using raw rhetorical language like that is a virtue, not a bad
1: thing. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay, so um, I have, uh, I prepared, I think, four chapters to be able to get through tonight, um, if we get through them. So chapter five is where we're starting. <clears throat> so let's, they, they, uh Let's start with just the the last verse of of chapter four was, So we went off with the plates of brass and a new best friend who never imagined that he would ultimately father an entire race of people that would become so self-righteous that they would build a beautiful death trap called the duh, 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 And that, my friend, is called foreshadowing. Foreshadowing the Zoramites. huh? Like, instead of shadow the Lamanite, it's for shadowing the Sorry, Okay. <clears throat> Chapter 5. Verse 1. When we got back to our camp, both mom and dad were super happy to see us. Verse 2. Mom was especially happy. She thought for sure we had been killed and had been worried sick. She was going absolutely mental. Verse 3. So, naturally that fear response from her brain manifested as shadow. And she complained a lot against my dad for being a visionary man, leading her children into ruin. Verse four. And dad wasn't too happy with her complaining because he was worried too and was just doing what he thought was right. But it's not like he didn't have any doubts about all this too. And when someone attacks you with their shadow, it just makes you attack them back with yours And Dad had a pretty strong shadow himself, but he loved Mom, and he realized why she was worrying and why it was largely because of him, so he owned up to it, and he told her that she was right, that he was a visionary man, and he apologized for the pain that that caused her, and that helped her to relax a little and put her in a place of peace, or at least as much peace as a mother can have out in the middle of the wilderness when she has no idea if her children are alive or dead. Verse 5. So naturally, she was super stoked to see us when we came back, and it made her believe in my dad and in his visions a little bit more, and she praised God, feeling that we had been divinely protected and guided just by doing something as simple as following our own instincts, because something clearly had allowed us to escape from Laban multiple times and returned unharmed with the brass plates, verse 6, but my father But my father also had some divine guidance or whatever in the way he talked with my mom when she was upset. He listened to her concerns. He empathized with them. But most importantly, he reassured her that she was important to him and that he would love her and support her no matter what. Verse 7. So by the time we returned and saw them together, mom's shadow was replaced with glowing joy at our return. And she felt more confident that this crazy thing we were doing was going to turn out a-okay. Verse 8. And she said, because of this, she truly knew that my father was leading us in the right direction. Verse nine, and we were all grateful for our health and our many blessings, which think about it. We left everything behind. We were totally alone in a wilderness. We had no idea where we were going or how we were going to get there. People that used to be our friends now thought that we were absolute fools, but we felt gratitude, gratitude, even Laman and Lemuel, because we had, uh, because we had each other. And that truly brought us joy. Weird, huh? Verse 10. And after we rejoiced, Dad took the brass plates and began reading from them. Verse 11. And he saw that these plates had all the stories of Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and Moses and basically everything you in your day will come to know as the Old Testament of the Bible up until the reign of King Zedekiah. So prophesy I from the desert outside of Jerusalem in 600 BC. I know pretty specific, right? Verse 12, except our, except our brass plates are way better and far more complete than what you're going to have in your day. Verse 13, which gives me some literary license to elaborate on biblical stories if I ever desire to, to make up names like Zenus or Zenoc to tease you about the missing stuff that you're missing, which who knows, I may decide to write about more someday or maybe not, but I'm setting the stage right now. Verse 14. But this also explains any parallels that future shadow addict opponents of mine might point to as plagiarism. Because, yeah, sure, people may say that the passages I quote from, from the brass plates, are really things that I lifted from a specific edition of the King James Bible, including word for word translation errors with that specific edition. But those people should just not doubt me, because. I don't want to be doubted, which is why I'm giving you such specific evidence of my prophetic prowess by being so specific about what you will have in your day and how it is mostly similar to the more true things that we have in my day. Verse 15. So yeah, we got the brass plates. Verse 16. Woohoo. We got the brass plates. I kind of summarized because it gets a little boring there. So that's it. That's that's chapter five. Chapter six. verse one. And my dad was super excited because the brass plates contained the genealogy of his fathers. But don't worry, I'm not going to bore you with all the detailed, he begat him, begat, 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 yada, yada, genealogy of my fathers. Verse 2. But I will tell you that we were descended from Joseph. Joseph in Egypt. Joseph of the coat of many colors. Because that guy was the bomb. Pretty much anyone named Joseph is, so prophesy I. Verse 3. And I'm not going to write all the teachings and prophecies from my father during this time period either, because there's just not enough room on these metal plates that I'm carving all of this onto. Verse 4, plus I'd rather focus on those things that will get you to listen more closely to yourself, to your true inner voice or whatever you want to call it, so that you can identify that piece of you that is shadow and not let him bully you and become the sole author of your lives. Verse 5, So those things that are pleasing to me, I will write on these plates. But the things that please shadow, those things that feed your fear or make you feel stupid or not good enough, or like everyone else has everything figured out and you're getting left behind, or jealous that other people get all the breaks and you don't, or angry about how cruel and unjust and unfair life is, all those things that distract you from the things that really matter, nope, not going to write that stuff. Not on purpose, at least. But since Shadow has a tendency to ridicule even the best messages from people with the purest intentions, maybe I shouldn't write a check that my actions won't be able to cash. And yeah, we totally had checks back here in the olden days. They were totally issued by the banks of the Red Sea. Thanks, Lauren. Verse 6. And I'll pass this message along to any of my descendants who may decide to write after me. And who may sound exactly like my writing style and will use the exact same words and phrases that I use and will make it hard to tell that this book that I have started writing is actually going to be written by multiple authors, not just one, honest, sort of, in a satirically facetious kind of way. Well, I'll let them, uh, or I'll tell them to take the same approach and to never ask or even consider, either out loud or otherwise, Why I decided to spend an entire chapter like this telling you that I'm not going to tell you things that fill up too much space or waste too much of your time because space on these plates are precious. So let's just leave it at that and move on. And that's chapter six. Chapter seven, verse one. So guess what? Dad had another dream. And guess what it was about? Again, it was that we had to go back to Jerusalem. Again, where we had just nearly gotten killed multiple times and freaked Mom out because of how dangerous it was and had just gotten back from. Yeah, that Jerusalem. And this time it was to get us some wives. Verse 2. Now, in your day and age, you probably can get wives from anywhere mail-ordered from Russia, through online dating profiles, at your local shady massage place. But in 600 BC in Jerusalem, it was a little more complicated than that, especially for a family of self-imposed outsiders who gave up all their worldly possessions and had become homeless in the wilderness, even though we dwelt in tents. Verse 3. But there was this guy named Ishmael, see, who used to borrow power tools from my dad and had a bad habit of not returning them, if I'm being perfectly honest. So he kind of owed us. And as divine providence would have it, Ishmael had exactly the same number of daughters as my dad had sons, as many sons as my dad had daughters, including an extra former slave daughter for dad's newly liberated servant of Laban, of course. This is what we referred to in the olden days as a matchy match. Verse four. (laughs) See, this is why you have to be here every time, because nobody else is going to laugh at the cheesiness in here. Thank you.
0: I'm nodding and approval
1: yeah, yeah yeah nodding and approval doesn't make for very good podcasting oh, though and it, it doesn't help I can't see it because I'm reading right. so it just doesn't help the me out that very
3: much reflect,
1: yeah. Matt, let, the, let, the, let the record the reflect oh,
0: and nodding. How
1: many uh, how many uh, yeah. and, and, and then can we, like, <laughs> we have the court reporter go? would you go back and please read where Matt was nodding each time <laughs> I need that Uh, Verse four, so once again, my brothers and I went back to Jerusalem, and of course there was murmuring, but I'm not really going to get into all that right here. But we went, and we met with Ishmael. Verse five, and Ishmael agreed to come with us and to bring his wife and sons and daughters along, but he swore that he had returned those power tools. Verse six, "Uh, and as we were going back, Laman and Lemuel, surprise, surprise, rebelled against us. Verse seven. Because they didn't want to go back again into the wilderness. Go figure. They wanted to go back to Jerusalem with their new wives. Verse 8. So I scolded them. In front of everyone. Good move, right? But come on. They had seen an angel, right? They had seen the way the Lord delivered us the brass plates, right? And they still didn't get that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed and that God was leading us to salvation? Lame. I guess that's why my dad named him. Lame and, no, no, no. and stubborn as no. a <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was good. Yeah. Stubborn as a lemuel? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: All right, I found it. All right.
2: No, no,
1: no, no. Let the record reflect. Verse 9. Granted, I may have overdone it a bit, calling them out for their fear and cowardice and stupidity in front of their new girlfriends, who, of course, they were trying to impress. Yeah, maybe my own righteous indignation shadow got the best of me on that one. <coughs> Verse 10. And um, it came to pass that they got mad at me. Hashtag duh. Verse 11. And they tied me up, hands and feet, and planned to just leave me there. Verse 12. But I prayed to my inner Lord for strength and power, and behold, abracadabra, nothing up my sleeve, presto chango, the ropes fell away, and I was free. And look, I know that some of you, Simon, are thinking, inner lord, abracadabra, the ropes just fell away, what a bunch of pseudoscientific woo. And that is, according to the story that I'm telling you here, your own inner mocking shadow. But let me just remind you of a few things. First, this is a fiction I'm making all of this up. I know it's not a true story. Second, this story is a metaphor for each one of us to learn how to attain the fullness of our potential for joy and happiness in this life. And unless, of course, you're already as awesome as you can possibly be, attaining your full potential really shouldn't be something to scoff at. And third, for those of you who are still scoffing anyway, why are you scoffing? What's going on with that? That's the real question. Verse 13, so when my fictional brothers saw that the fictional bands they were trying to tie me up in couldn't hold me, and you get that this is a metaphor for the ways people try to control and manipulate us to do what they want rather than what we want, right? Well, they were afraid that I was going to seek retribution and come after them, because that's what they would have done if the turntables were um, turned, but I frankly forgave them. Because that's just my thing, you know, because I care about them and I understand why they acted, how they acted and how they were blinded by their own shadowy fears. And my heart just wished to free them of that fear, not to add to it. Verse 14, are you with me? Meaning through metaphor, baby. And I really don't want to hammer you over the head with this one for every story that I tell you, but I think some of you are getting a little concerned about where I'm going with this. Verse 15. But I'll shut up with the expositions for a minute and let you try to untangle this next knot for yourself. Verse 16. You are thinking that the lesson I'm trying to tell you here is that you don't ever have to be afraid that your enemies will do you any physical harm because God will always protect you and keep you safe. That's what you think this story means, don't you? Verse 17. Wrong. Of course not. Take a look around. Bad things happen to good people all the time. You think that's proof that there's no God or that God is mean or negligent or that stories like these are just camel pucky that make no sense? that's your shadow talking. Try again. Verse 18. So maybe you think I'm making these stories up to try to get you to believe me and to follow me and pay me money so that I can profit from your labor without really laboring on my own and be sort of worshiped by you and ultimately get secretly married to you, women, or to your wives, men. Verse 19. Wrong again. I mean, sure, maybe something like that will happen, possibly. Not to me, Nephi, but to Joseph, a son of Joseph, who will definitely be involved in the original translation of this story. But once again, that is fear and suspicion and cynicism, keeping you from seeing what is right in front of your nose. Shadow doing his thing again, protecting you from perceived danger. But let's try this one more time, because you know, three patterns. Verse 20. Is it that when you get into an argument with someone, the anger and negativity that they feel towards you can creep in and become anger and negativity that you feel towards them? And that the anger and negativity you create inside yourself ties you up and keeps you from moving, progressing, from really being you? But that if you learn ways to be calm and avoid creating that anger that, blind, or that binds you, even in the face of insult and abuse from others, then you can create peace in the midst of any horrible situation. And that's the way to keep control over yourself and avoid allowing others to control or manipulate you with peer pressure or fear tactics. Verse 21, if that's what you concluded all on your own, then you win a gold star. Go find someone else to give it to you, though, or better yet, give it to yourself. You earned it. Verse 22, and when we made it back to camp with Ishmael and his family, we had a party and Laman and Lemuel cut the cake. All right. Let's let's stop there and talk a little bit about how that went. What what do you, what do you guys think about this being tied up metaphor and then the way that I explained it there? You
0: got to spend time with it at yeah. some point it's after
3: yeah. Deep stuff. yeah. Come
1: on. Is it yeah. deep stuff? If
3: it's a lot. It's of- a, it is yeah. deep stuff. Yeah, you got to spend some time <coughs> with saved
0: it, a lot. especially if you're introduced to it for the first time. So I think. Yeah, I think that's a fair. Uh,
3: because our brains are busy comparing the original story to the new, and then digesting the new information as well. Okay. Um,
0: Hurry
1: up, brains. So, up. so
3: I think that you're sitting here being hard on yourself instead of realizing that mm. it's the opposite that we're actually. Digesting.
1: Oh, what what is it that you think I'm being hard on myself?
3: Uh, right. I think that you're you're feeling maybe a little insecure because oh. you're asking, "Is it okay? Is it okay? Is it okay?"
1: Yeah, well, I'm I'm trying to just generate discussion because I'm tired of hearing myself talk, and I want <laughs> I want to hear what you guys have to it's, to say.
0: It's actually good. You got a nice voice. What I'm thinking of, and this Thank is a compliment, you. yeah, is there's the, one of my favorite books, you. that it's about a psychopath, mm-hmm. but um, so not to draw an analogy, it's called
1: you is you, the name of the book,
0: but it's written in the first person, like E-W-E? Y O U. Okay, like I saw you. You did this, you did that. It's written from the first person from this one dude's perspective. It's very it reminds me of that as you're as you're reading it. So it's hmm. like it's like a
2: uh, audiobook to me.
1: Oh. Okay. Yeah.
2: Glenn, I really like the anger piece and it caused me to want to go and actually read what <coughs> what verse twenty actually says compared to what you constructed. Yeah. Uh, I mean I'm that's a, a real prevalent theme for me right now is dealing with anger yeah and um i was particularly interested in it seems feels coincidental to me that Mm. you have that
1: well so um maybe i should say that not every single verse is like a parallel of the verse that's in the book of mormon because i there there are times when it's so redundant and it just doesn't add anything, you know, what's actually in the Book of Mormon that I'm like, I'm going to use this space to elaborate on whatever I did before. And I think I did a lot of that in this one. Oh, okay. um, yeah, because I, I, I think Nephi spends a lot of time complaining about how awful his brothers were to him and what it was like and how miraculous his escape was. And I'm like, let's just get past that and move on to like what this could Like what? What could you take away from a story like this? What? What could? What could be of any value in this? And then thinking about like how I just know from my own experience when when I'm like super frustrated or super angry, I can't think straight, and then I do stupid things that hurt people that I don't (laughs) want to to hurt. And second uh, that emotion. Yeah.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah. And and I, I mean I've also been thinking a lot lately about how. If you really are able to create this bubble of peace and calm around you, even when Trump is in office and all, you know, like all of these things that are happening are around us and just horrible things all the time, and um, is that is that a, a way to to free yourself? I don't know, and I don't know how naive some of these thoughts might be or not, and I know that. You know, some people have really awful experiences that you can't just be like, oh, it's going to be, I'm just going to think happy thoughts, you know, so, um, but that's what I'm trying to go for with this is, is I'm reading these things in the book of Mormon is trying to say, no, how, how could, how could this mean something to me, to where our, to what's valuable to me right now?
3: Could you read
1: the... Would you mind reading the section over about being tied up? Sure. All right, so they got mad at him. Verse 11. They tied me up, hands and feet, and planned to just leave me there. Verse 12. But I prayed to my inner Lord for strength and power, and behold, abracadabra, nothing up my sleeve, presto chango, the ropes fell away, and I was free. And look, I know that some of you are thinking... Inner Lord, Abracadabra, the ropes just fell away. What a bunch of pseudoscientific woo. And that is, according to the story that I'm telling you here, your own inner mocking shadow. But let me just remind you of a few things. First, this is a fiction. I'm making all of this up. I know it's not a true story. Second, this story is a metaphor for each of us to learn how to attain the fullness of our potential for joy and happiness in this life. And unless, of course, you're already as awesome as you can possibly be, attaining your full potential really shouldn't be something to scoff at. And third, for those of you who are scoffing anyway, why are you scoffing? What's going on with that? That's the real question. Verse 13, so when my fictional brothers saw that the fictional bands they were trying to tie me up in couldn't hold me, and you get that this is a metaphor for the ways people try to control and manipulate us to do what they want, rather than what it is that we want, right? Well, they were afraid that I was going to seek retribution and come after them, because that's what they would have done if the turntables were um, turned. But I frankly forgave them, because that's just my thing, you know, because I care about them, and I understood why they acted how they did and how they were blinded by their own shadowy fears, and my heart just wished to free them of that fear, not to add to it. Verse 14, are you with me? Meaning through metaphor, baby. And I really don't want to have to hammer you over the head with this kind of stuff for every story that I tell you. But I think some of you are getting a little concerned about where I'm going with this. Good timing, babe. Hi.
0: <laughs> don't quit calling me babe. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm telling you that. Yeah. You know how many of those we've edited it's out over really the last awkward.
3: five years? Yeah. It's really awkward. Yeah.
1: Uh, 15. But I'll shut up with the expositions for a minute and let you try to untangle this next knot yourself. Verse 16. You're thinking that the lesson I'm trying to tell you here is that you don't ever have to be afraid that your enemies will do you any physical harm because God will always protect you and keep you safe. That's what you think the story means, don't you? Verse 17. Wrong. Of course not. Take a look around. Bad things happen to good people all the time. You think that is proof that there's no God, or that God is mean, or negligent, or that stories like these are just camel pucky that make no sense? That's your shadow talking. Try again. Verse 18. So maybe you think I'm making these stories, uh, making up these stories to try to get you to believe me, and to follow me, and to pay me money so that I can profit from your labor without really laboring on my own, and be sort of worshiped by you, and ultimately get secretly married to you, women, and to your wives, men. Verse 19, wrong again. I mean, sure, maybe something like that will happen, possibly, not to me, Nephi, but to Joseph, son of Joseph, who will definitely be involved in the original translation of this story. But once again, that is fear and suspicion and cynicism, keeping you from seeing what is right in front of your nose, shadow doing his thing again, protecting you from perceived danger. But let's try one more time, because you know, three patterns. Verse 20, is it that when you get into an argument with someone, the anger and negativity they feel towards you can creep in and become anger and negativity that you feel towards them? And that the anger and negativity you create inside yourself ties you up and keeps you from moving, progressing, and from really being you? But that if you learn ways to calm, to be calm, and to avoid creating that anger that binds you, even in the face of insult and abuse from others, then you can create peace in the midst of any horrible situation. And that is the way to keep control over yourself and avoid allowing others to control or manipulate you with peer pressure or fear tactics. Verse 21. If that is what you concluded all on your own, then you win a gold star. Go find someone else to give it to you, though. Or better yet, give it to yourself. You earned it. Verse 22. And when we made it back to camp with Ishmael and his family, we had a party. And lame man and lemuel cut the cake. Did, did you get more the second time? Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Should I read it more slowly?
0: You should read it three times in one Just read pass. it three times yeah. in one pass? Maybe like, ah. It's like, uh, do a three-pass okay. three method. I like to do. Tell them what you're going to say, then tell them, and then tell them what you said.
1: Okay. All right. Uh, I think I'll start doing that. I'm going to do that. I just did that. Here you go. Okay. All right. Okay, chapter eight. Verse one. Hi, welcome to chapter eight. Eight has always been my favorite number, ever since I was a kid. I associate it with the color blue, which is my favorite color. So this chapter is going to get a little blue, I guess. Weird, huh? So remember how my dad has lots of dreams, and they usually have some deep meaning for him? Well, oops, he... Did it uh again. <laughs> Verse two. See Krista's so glad that she came in, she's like, Oh my gosh, I'm married to this guy.
3: <laughs> I really think I would recommend you using an Austin Powers impersonation when you do the baby thing. Oh earlier.
1: Oh really? Oh like when when I said um uh uh, meaning through metaphor, baby yes. Like that? Yeah Okay, I'll have, to, I'll have to work on the You've done Scooby-Doo Yeah, I've done Yoda and Scooby-Doo So I've got to do it. Austin Powers Alright You have to get your
3: Britney Spears down
1: next Okay Alright Verse 2 uh, Dad came up to us and said I have a dream Oh wait, no That was someone else Someone a lot more real That I probably shouldn't even be joking about <clears throat> Ahem Verse three, but dad said his dream made him really happy for me and for Ted, but it made him really worried for Laman and Lemuel. And you know, they just loved it when he told them that, right? Verse four, because in his dream, he saw a dark and dreary wilderness. Maybe it was just outside of Seattle. Verse five, but then a guy with a long beard and a white flowing robe came and stood before him. So actually maybe it was Portland. Verse six. And he talked to my dad and asked him to follow him on a visionary tour of epic proportions. Because honestly, isn't that what we all sort of want when you get right down to it? Verse 7. And the first place they visited was a dark and dreary wasteland, which was both dark and dreary. Also, it was a wasteland. But here's the thing. It was dark not because of an absence of light but because of thick clouds and mists and vapors created on the ground, rising up from the ground, that rose up and blocked out the light that was there, but was obstructed by the cloudy darkness. And it was dreary because of the hopeless feeling that comes over each person who unconsciously blocks out light that is otherwise readily available to their world. And that's what made it such a wasteland, see? Because the light that would have otherwise brought warmth and life and growth to the earth— was being pushed away and rejected. I hate it when that happens. Verse 8. And my father walked in that dark, dreary waste for a very long time. How long has it been for you? Until he finally had enough and decided to do something about it. How long did it take for you? Verse 9. And soon my father's heartfelt desire for change took him out of that dreary darkness into a wide and spacious field, so wide, so spacious, so full of rich potential and opportunity for him to create whatever he wanted to create in it. Verse 10, and just as he thought that he could put anything in that open field that he wanted, he saw a tree, a kind of bluish tree, I told you, with delicious smelling fruit Kind of shaped like the number eight, I bet. That was made to make anyone who ate it perfectly happy. And my dad, in this dream, just created that from his own imagination. Way to go, dad. Verse 11. And my father went and ate the fruit, and it filled him with a powerful joy that awakened something inside of him that had nearly withered and died in that dark and dreary, light-repelling wasteland. Something that made the light shine not only downward from above, but now Powerfully and radiantly outward from within. Verse 12. And that light was an endless source of joy, peace, gratitude, reassurance, hope, love, and a killer sense of humor. This dreamy, imaginative, metaphorical inner light filled my father from within, and it burst out of him. And he desired to share that light with everyone he loved which in that moment, at least, was pretty much everyone he could think of, and pretty much everyone else as well. Because this was it, man. This love he felt inside of him was what he always had been, but had forgotten. It had been this part of him for so long, but up till this moment, he'd never fully experienced it. He had experienced fleeting glimmers of it. He had always felt both an intellectual appreciation for and an intuitive recognition of that powerful love that existed deep within him. But he had never found a way to free it from the dark, shadowy clouds of doubt and fear and anger and worry that had nearly turned his inner life into that very dreary wasteland he encountered in his dream. Whatever this fruit actually was, it had freed him. And more than anything else in the world, he wanted to share that with others. Verse 13. And the first people he thought of were his immediate family. My mother, my brothers, my sisters, and me. And as he looked around to see if we were nearby in this large and spacious field, he noticed a river running through the land near to the tree that he had eaten from, and he wondered what the river was and where it came from. Verse 14, and as he looked to find the source of the river, he saw my mom and me and the rest of the good ones in our family, and we were acting like we were lost, not knowing which way to go which is a very different kind of loss than when you're lost, but do know which way to go. Although I guess that kind happens a lot too. Verse 15. And my dad called out to us, telling us to come to him and taste the awesome fruit of the tree of life. The tree of what we asked of life. He shouted. Oh, so it's the joy that comes from living What are your favorite joys of living? Does life give you any fruit that bring you delight and joy? Personally, I've always really liked finger painting, and it helps with golden plate engraving. And eating really good food and being super righteous, duh. So you get it, right? Look out for the pseudoscience woo-woo spin on this next one. Dad was telling us to come enjoy living life with him, to partake of the fruits of life, and to be the happiest versions of ourselves that we can possibly be. Verse 16, so we did. Verse 17. And he wished that Lame Man and Lemuel would too. Verse 18. And he looked around and saw them wandering in that wide and spacious field, overwhelmed as it were by all of the possibilities of what that wide and spacious field could become for them. And he called them, but they wouldn't come. Verse 19. And he noticed that all along the river was an iron rod which led right up to the tree. Verse 20. And there was a pathway next to the rod. And guess what shape it was? Straight. It it was straight. Also, it was narrow, super narrow, like uncommonly straight and inconceivably narrow, because that's just how they build those paths next to the rods that lead to the joy of living life at one end and the complacent wandering and searchings for meaning that happens in the wide, i.e. not straight and spacious, a.k.a. not narrow field at the other end of the path. Verse 21. And my dad saw numberless throngs of people wandering in that large and spacious field. That's throngs, not thongs. That would be weird. But they all were trying to get to the tree of life, and they were all lost and wandering, some stuck in the dark, dreary wasteland, others overwhelmed by the wide and spacious field of marvelous potential, but all hungering and thirsting for the joys that are found when you devour the fruits of life that you maximize to your greatest potential. Verse 22. And they started walking down the narrow path, one by one, in alphabetical order, searching through their pockets for milk money to give to the lunch lady. What can I say? Dreams can be really weird and random sometimes. Verse 23, and as they worried about whether or not the Salisbury steak would still be available when they got to the end of the line, or if they would be stuck with the undercooked chicken cordon bleu, their worry gained power, it was shadow, and became a mist of darkness as it were, it was shadow. And many of those people got scared. Because of shadow, and left the path, and wandered away, and got lost and overwhelmed again. No suit for them. (laughs) Verse 24. And it came to punt, Matt. It came to punt. Oh. Let the record show he's shaking his head on that one. And it came to punt that others grabbed hold of the rod to keep them on their path while the thick darkness was making it impossible for them to see their way forward but not apparently too dark for my dad to be able to see them all the way across the field and through the thick darkness because lucid dreaming, don't you know? It's amazing. You should try it. Verse 25. And the ones that held to the rod and walked the straight and narrow path got to the tree and ate the fruit and finally understood for themselves what all the fuss had been about. Have you made it there yet? And many of them were thrilled, but a significant portion got ashamed. It happens. And you know where shame comes from, right? Their shadows were working on them big time, right? Because shadow loses control when you're full of the joy of living an amazing life. Shadow doesn't like that at all. Verse 26, And I looked back at the path and saw a great and spacious building on the other side of the river. Verse 27, Everyone in that building was dressed in designer clothes. They were totally up on all the latest news and gossip and fashion. They had all the coolest gadgets. They were too cool to be cool. And they made fun of the people who had eaten from the tree. Verse 28, and they shamed many of them away from the tree and out into the dark mists again, even though they had already felt for themselves the incredible joy of living an incredible, amazing life as the best versions of themselves they could be. But they cared more about what other people thought of them than about how they were actually feeling about themselves. Maybe it was a lack of confidence. Maybe it was a lack of self-worth. Maybe it was self-love deficit disorder as a result of childhood trauma. Whatever it was, it was sad. Verse 29, and there's more that my father saw, but my hands are getting tired from all this engraving. Verse 30, so to sum it up, he saw a lot of people who made it to the tree and had the best time of their lives. Verse 31, and he saw others making their way to the great and spacious building. 32, and he saw others that drowned in the river and others that took paths that led to who knows where. Verse 33, and Okay, this isn't something I initially was going to tell you, but I don't want you to get too bummed out here. Because as my dad told me these stories, it didn't seem fair to me that people could die and fall away like this. And I wondered why God or life or whatever it is that's in control of things, if it's anything besides ourself that are in control of things, why does that just hand everyone a piece of fruit and make everybody happy? And then I realized that actually... That's exactly what is happening. We get what we most desire. And if what we most desire is the joy that comes through living life as the best versions of ourselves that we can possibly be, well, that's right there for everyone to just reach out and enjoy. Because if God is a metaphor for life and all of us are alive, then all of us are part of God as a metaphor. And God gives us what we most want, which means that we create what we most want individually and collectively. And whether or not there's actually some kind of divine conscious energy that exists inside our biologically evolved meat puppets, (laughs) bodies, that is actually literally a piece of God, or whether this is just a way of symbolizing that we are ultimately in control of our lives. Well, either way, this is a pretty cool idea that life should be enjoyed, right? Who would want to reject a message like that? Verse 34. But look. If you're embarrassed by the mockery of the world and you just don't want to eat from the fruit of the tree, whatever, it's your life. We all still have lessons to learn. We all have lots to learn. There are no wrong experiences in what my father saw, just things that brought more happiness and joy than others. But everyone moved to exactly where they wanted to be. And there was still some, and there must, okay, and there must still be some degree of comfort and joy in that. Verse 35. Even for Laman and Lemuel. Who never got to the tree to taste the fruit. They went, uh, but they did go where they wanted to go and learned and experienced what they wanted to learn and experience. And they helped us learn some things as well, if only by contrast. Verse 36. But still, my dad was super worried about Laman and Lemuel because rejecting the joy in life often means accepting additional hardship and trial. Those things that aren't joyful because they reject the joyful things, right? And that was tough for my dad to think about. Verse 37. So he begged them to repent, to change. Verse 38. And when he was finished, he just stopped talking, which makes this a great place for me to end this chapter. There you go.
4: It's interesting to hear your version of it without all of the, and it came to pass. Yeah. And how Joseph Smith just tried to make it sound. And it just makes me realize how stupid the original Book of is, <laughs> and I don't want to say it. Yeah. You know, I just, I, didn't like that I, I just, I keep thinking <laughs> of me sitting there with my family as a child reading the Book of Mormon. That's kind of where I'm at tonight, mm-hmm. just like comparing it and thinking of the stories and being reminded, kind of thinking how I thought as a child. You know, just it's just such a different experience without that kind of King James.
3: My brain is going towards. Um, I mean, you're talking about you know all of these different areas and what they look like um, from someone else's perspective. I I guess I when I'm listening to this, um, in in my head I'm hearing somebody telling their children, all of these people are unhappy based off of the looks. All of these people are happy based off the looks, and and it just feels very judgy to say these people are experiencing this over there. But you know, you were also saying that. These people are all having their own honest, true life experiences regardless of what choices they're making and it's yeah. not right or wrong. Um, I just get sick and tired of everybody judging everybody else based off of where they're at mm-hmm. and saying, why aren't they over here with us? We have all the answers. We have all the happiness. Why are they over there? Right. Yeah, for them. Um, I'm starting to really embrace everybody where they're at in their journey and that you're not nobody has the right to say you're not in the right place Um, and then earlier something that came to mind I don't know if it's super off or not but when we were talking in the chapter before you know again about him being bound the ideas of projection and perception came to mind because the to me when when I feel like I'm bound by something and the instantaneous, the ropes fall off of me, that's when I have a perception change. Mm-hmm. And usually it's because I started off with a perception of believing somebody else's, or, you know, that shadow taking over and believing the negative side of things. When I mean, you can change your perception, everything just changes instantaneously, even though nothing changes. Um, and it's fascinating to me how someone else's projections onto you You just hold on to that, and you you keep yourself tied up. Um, And then when you can turn inward, find the truth, and you can release that perception that's kept you bound. Hmm.
4: Um, Yeah, part of that, what you're talking about, that what I was thinking was I didn't realize how many people were trying to tie me up and control me. Hmm. A lot of my perceptions, which were, uh, looking back, I wasn't perceiving the situations correctly, they loved me. They care about me. They want to help me. But they were, you know, uh, they were doing things that they wanted and it wasn't for my good, right? But they, you know, so a lot of it, you know, yeah. that's what I thought
0: of. Yeah. I, I thought about something, something you said triggered a, a memory that I've been playing with uh, lately or something that I heard recently that I've been playing with, I should say. Um, how viewing people rather than as objects but as processes mm-hmm. because that's really what we are. We're, we have metabolic processes going on, we have developmental processes going on, mental, emotional, mm-hmm. uh, there, there's you know, brain chemistry changes and there's processes that are happening. And I, I've, I've tried to apply that over the last couple of days since I heard it and it's really helpful to, to both be intentional with people and to be compassionate by saying, okay this is a process that I'm talking with, that I'm interacting with. Meaning that there are ebbs and flows that are happening right now that I hope to account for, or at least acknowledge. And then acknowledge them and be really, really crappy to them, despite (laughs) that, right? Sure. That's really helped. And 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 it's helped me also in in not just saying this is what I, I experience sometimes is, hey, it's journey. Everybody's on their own path. But there's this really kind of backhanded, but I'm a little more progressed than they are, right? There's there's always this attempt to move at a hierarchy. At some point, hopefully it shifts to really seeing everybody as a process and truly being, I, I guess, just accepting where they are right now and allowing that process to take place and not now projecting forward and saying, but I really hope they're here. Now, that's a natural reaction. I'm talking about the ideal versus the... Let me If I could, cut me off any time. Um, I had a conversation with my dad recently where...
1: Okay, stop. Okay, keep going. <laughs>
0: Good. Um, we were talking about spiritual practice and how everybody's kind of got their own thing from watching basketball, playing like video games, to meditating, to run, run all the gamut. But we give priority to church prayer meditation kind of the the traditional ones and we were kind of talking about that a little bit and as we our, our conversation progressed we just started talking about life and what i realized was he's gotten to a really nice place of enlightenment through fundamental religion and through mormonism and it was the first time i connected with my dad in that way rather than Here's where I am. It's different than where you are. I wish you were different. You may wish we were different. It really kind of came this this moment where my journey and his journey brought us to a very, very close place. And that brought a lot of peace. But more than anything, it brought a lot of compassion towards my other religious loved ones. And to say that I truly, truly am okay with your path. And can see where it brings you a measure of enlightenment, where my path brings me mine, mm. and that's enough. So thank you for and that's your thoughts.
3: Unconditional love.
0: It is unconditional love, and I think it's unconditional love, really. What we're, what that is is I keep coming to that. Unconditional love to the self, mm. because what we're really saying is. I'm okay with where you are because I'm truly finally okay with where I am.
1: Because it doesn't threaten me or yes. who I am at all. Yeah.
0: True autonomy.
1: And, and I think that's so hard with the, like, coming out of the Mormon church because it was so damaging. You hear lame and lame, you know, things like that that are so triggering that you're like, this was a threat to me. I'm out of it. I don't want it anywhere near me anymore. And so that could be something that gets in the way with your relationship with your dad because he's happy in it. yeah. But yeah. you're outside of it. So it's like this thing that's in between you until it's no longer a threat to you anymore and you can accept him and the good that comes out of his life as a result of being in this horrible institution.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Process is not objects. I, I like that.
3: Because the, the idea of process means so much more than journey to, mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: yeah, it, that twi- twist on us has helped me be- feel less condescending mm-hmm. when I say it. Mm-hmm. Because really, I'll be like, that's your journey, man. That's yeah, just your right. path, man. But mine is the true path, right? Yeah. I saw like this great college humor video about people who leave fe- Facebook. I just feel like I'm just, just this world tastes better. I really experience nature now. It's just so much better than <laughs> you people who are on Facebook. Mm-hmm. You're just like, you're not better than me. You're not better than me. I didn't say I was better than me. I just don't need Facebook. Either. Mm. Great bet. That's kind of what that is. Yeah. At some point, there's this air of, "But I am it."
3: It's, I was talking to some girlfriends yesterday about this when you brought up unconditional love and all this relates. But we're really taught in
0: growing up in the Mormon Church, you're told that this is unconditional love, how God loves you, and it's completely conditional. No, absolutely. You have to yeah.
1: do this list.
0: So it is interesting that that is the love we, we think this conditional love is unconditional love. And it's, it really takes a lot to get out of that thinking. Right, right. When you leave, like, wait, I can love people even if they're not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreeing
1: mm-hmm. with me or, yeah. Them yeah. Nuts.
0: And we teach okay. these little, I mean, we're all taught as kids who I think normally are naturally, unco- they love unconditionally. They're just kids. Mm-hmm. And we're, it's, <laughs> I don't want to use the word brainwash, but it, you know, you're mm-hmm. taught that
1: you could say conditioned, conditioned. without having that yeah, negative that, connotation just... of brainwashing. It's conditioning. And it's, it's that, that message of unconditional love that you're being conditioned to receive conditionally.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And and so it just totally messes. Just totally messes with us. Yeah. I
3: remember it, being taught as a kid about the Catholic Church being the great and vulnerable church. And it's like, really? Yeah. Yeah. You're
2: sure. You're
1: yeah. Okay. That doesn't seem like a very unconditionally loving yeah, thing. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> <Like, laughs> like, no, no, like, to be saying, that's it? Yeah, that wasn't very kind, was it? Yeah. yeah. And all the people that were there, I was like, oh, that's neat.
3: Yeah.
1: Cool. Well, thank you guys for the conversation. I, I um, the 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 imagery of that vision. Uh, it comes up again in like chapter 11, I think, when Nephi goes through it again. And, and so I get to revisit it in a little bit more detail. And it's, it's kind of fun to do that twice. But, but I did make some intentional changes <laughs> where the, 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 the large and spacious field that I call the wide and spacious field. And I said that it's wide and spacious because there's all this potential for opportunity in there. So I put, I think, more of a positive spin on it than maybe, well, then definitely than I ever heard it. Growing up, but you know, the way that it is in the the Book of Mormon text, it doesn't say whether it's bad or not, it's just large and spacious. Okay, so what does that mean?
4: I think people can be at at different places of that field, you know, at all times in their life. They can have they can be at different places, um, based on you know where where they have issues to make up for. You know, some people are are lost in some Mm -hmm. parts of their life. Yeah. Some people have some things absolutely figured out And they get a lot of joy from those things And they're completely in other parts of that field in their lives So I, you know, I I have parts of me that are so lost I'm waiting to find them You know, they're in the, 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 that dark, you know, mist
1: So, so like, when, when I write in here that Joy is just there. You just got to reach out and take it. Are you like, yeah, fuck you, man? I'm lost. I can't. If I could take it, I would. Do you have that kind of a response at all? No, no. no? Because I know
4: um, I've had so much joy so many uh, for so many things, and I, and I do have some things figured out in my life. Mm-hmm.
2: You know?
4: But uh, I don't worry about it because I know there's other parts of me that are lost,
1: mm-hmm. or, or
4: I have things that I can't see myself that others can see, you know, or that need to be fixed or where I am. Lost you know, I'll eventually make it somehow, mm. you
2: know, I just because it's a process, yeah. right? It's not all at once it's I not,
1: can't probably shouldn't swear in here, should I Hillary? I'm sorry, all right. it's okay, okay. <laughs> it's a process it's a, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a process yeah. Yeah.
2: sorry you know, I like the uh, talk about process and people being in, in a process or processes and I thought of the, the news with Um, Barbara Bush's death you know she's 92 and her son you know the former president is really at peace with it and talked like it was a beautiful thing and now everybody's analyzing it but the process of death for him was this place where he's good now somebody else loses their mom even though they're 92 they're devastated. It's, it's the end of their world. Mm-hmm. They've lost their, their mother. They've had this relationship, and they go into all the stages of grief where it appears that George Bush is completely accepting. His process is completely different than somebody else who's, you know, got these highs and lows and these different experiences. Where they're at, are they wanting to, you know be angry about something or if they can accept it. And I, I like that idea because I realize we're not all on the same path in the same place, the same process at the same time. But <clears throat> that's why the army marches is so that everybody arrives at the same place at the same time.
4: Hmm. You know, also for me the getting to that tree and you know tasting whatever's there it, to me, it makes it seem like it's a race. Once you cross the finish line, you're there, you're happy, everything's gonna work out, and that childhood dream has to die. You know, I, I've had to look back and be like, it's, it's, you don't just attain this whatever it is yeah. it's great it's just it's a process again and there's you know
1: it's where it's it like that but but if you look at the meaning behind the metaphor you know like because this metaphor is a scene with different things in different places in a process of going from one place to another place but the meaning behind it the tree is life so any place you are in it, alive you're right there and and life is going to have fruit yeah. that and is joyful it. that you can partake of no matter where you are in the process or in, in the journey.
4: Well, I don't like your interpretation better
1: than... That's what the story is symbolizing, bad, though, right? Yeah. I mean, whether, whether it was it, intended to be that, that's what it's saying. It's the tree of life.
0: Yeah, let's not go to yeah. correlation interpretation, Yeah.
3: right?
1: right. It, I mean, it's just, what, what does it, it say? say? It's the tree of life, and it's the fruit of the tree yeah. of life. And, and so, so if you're alive... You're always right there in the
3: tree. Can I... So this is... uh, The tree of life feels to me like being in the present moment. Mm -hmm. Because when you're in the present moment, nothing from the past is there, nothing about worrying about the future is there. It's you enjoying the gifts and the blessings of right now. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. right now... I want to play with that a little bit. What is wrong with right now? Like maybe somebody has a dying cat at home and somebody's got, you know... uh, a bunch of crap they got to take care of before tomorrow morning. But like all of that stuff has nothing to do with right now. And so when I think about, you know, like getting to the tree of life, that is obtaining, being, being able to push everything else out and being able to be in the present moment. Mm-hmm. That to me, because like what Ryan said, to me I have had to learn um, that it's not about the destination, it's about the journey, it's about the process. Mm-hmm. Because I, I had a huge... Moment to myself probably a month or two ago ab- about this because I kept thinking like okay I'm just going to get to this point and then everything's going to be great mm-hmm. and that's not true and I kept expecting that the world around me had to change and 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 I had to try and find some way to manipulate the outside world to make me feel better mm-hmm. but I had to change what was happening on the inside so everything outside of myself felt better um, and. And when I'm thinking about, you know, the scene of all of these different things going on, my brain started to go to, well, this dark city over here represents this thing in my life. And then this thing that's awesome over here, uh, you know, this area that's beautiful represents this part of my life. But the the goal is to get to the tree, which for me is the present moment, Mm -hmm. which is where all the joy is. All
1: right. Well, thank you, guys. Adam was a prophet, person that we
2: know. In a place called Eden, he helped things to grow. Adam served the Lord by following his ways. We are
1: his descendants in the latter days is
2: hillary Matthew
1: ashley and i like to play bingo online while listening to infants on thrones
4: you can comment on this episode on the website infants and if you really like what you hear give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on itunes i did i did i did anyone for the closing prayer
1: Enoch was a prophet, he taught what was good. People in his city did just what they should. When they were so righteous that there was no sin, Heavenly Father took them up to live with
2: him. Thank you for listening to Infants Infants on Thrones.